0: I'd like to welcome you all to come back in. Well, I guess that's invite you all to come back in and take your seats as we are going to start this morning. And now I will welcome you all here this morning to Jericho Ridge. I'm excited to be here. I've spent this last week speaking at Camp Coqua up in Hope. uh, And we had a great time up there talking about uh, God making all things new, and how he makes us new creations. So we looked at the story of the Bible, looking at the Old Testament, uh, and all the people that God created into new creations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, King David, uh, Jesus' work, and uh, Paul, and all these people that he made new. So we had a great time up there. I, uh, this is my 11th message of the week. Uh, Nathaniel and Timothy have heard all of them, so I'm sure they're sick of my voice by now uh, as they're up at camp this week. But we had a great time out there. We had uh, three kids give their lives to Jesus for the first time ever. We had quite a few more uh, dedicate, rededicating their lives to Jesus, so that was great to see. Uh, and I think a big wing that came out of there was just the kids developed a hunger for God's word. Every uh, morning they would ask me, what, what are you speaking about at chapel? What story are you going to tell today? What are you speaking at at campfire? And just asking me tons of questions about the Bible. So there was a real uh, hunger for the Bible coming uh, that came upon the kids that week. And so we're praying that that continues through uh, and that Jesus continues to transform into new creations. And it was great. So now we're back. Uh, we're, Caitlin and I moved in yesterday into the Sumner house to watch after their dog. Uh, as they're off in Tanzania, so we're continuing to pray for them. And if you want to have a party, (laughs) just let us know, and we'll have a little party at the Sumner House. I'm sure Brad's not going to listen to this message, so he'll never know. But we're going to continue our series uh, looking at the life of Solomon, and particularly in wisdom. And we're really going to focus on wisdom today, because our theme is, What is Wisdom? What does Solomon say about wisdom? What did the Israelites understand about wisdom? And that's what we're going to look at today. But first, I want to applaud you all for your wisdom and common sense this morning. You have all become experts at fitting in with your physical world, demonstrating great physical prowess in dealing with obstacles in your path. Now, some of you might think, Mike, you don't really know me. I'm kind of clumsy. I bump into things. I'm not very much of an expert at fitting into my physical world. But I assure you that you have done well. You've used some common sense if you took the stairs this morning. And you use the common sense to know that you have to shorten your stride and lift your feet up a little bit higher to get up those stairs so you don't trip. That's some good physical common sense. You have also used wisdom in realizing that walls are in fact very solid, and instead of walking through them, you have entered through the proper portal that we call a door. (laughs) Many of you in driving here today have driven on the correct side of the road and followed the posted speed (laughs) limits-ish and have politely followed the traffic signals and the signs so that you could get here safely. Very wise of you. Many of you have used paper quite properly this year. I'm assuming that none of you have tried to buy lunch with a Post-it note, which is a good, wise thing to try not to do. Many of you haven't tried to load Kleenex into a printer. No one has tried blowing your nose with a $5 bill. Very wise. And none of you have tried to dry your hands with newspaper. So, why don't you all give yourself a round of applause for your great wisdom in our physical world. Good job, everyone. Good job. But how have we done in wisdom in our moral world? How have we done in wisdom in our spiritual world? Because the wisdom that we seek, God's wisdom, involves all of those areas, our physical world, our moral world, and our spiritual world. And we're going to want to look at what the Israelites thought about wisdom since we want God's wisdom. And the Israelites had this understanding of wisdom. And there's these two guys, Andrew Hill and John Walton, who wrote in a textbook that I had to buy for Old Testament survey a while ago. So I broke out that book, getting my money's use out of it, and saw what they had to say about wisdom. And they describe wisdom from an Israelite perspective as this. Wisdom constituted skill in living that combined the power of observation, the capacities of human intellect, and the application of knowledge and experience of daily life. Wisdom sought to teach practical moral principles for behavior, or prompted the reader rationally to investigate the many problems associated with human existence. All from a viewpoint firmly rooted in the fear of the Lord. That's a very textbooky uh, quote that I picked for you there. Which makes sense because it came from a textbook. But basically... Wisdom constitute the moral and the spiritual and the physical world. And wisdom is a combination of knowledge, understanding, and practical application. Wisdom is not just having it in your head. Wisdom is just not something that you have in your head. Because then it would just be knowledge. And wisdom isn't just knowing why things are the way they are. Otherwise, that would be understanding. Wisdom involves practically applying that knowledge and that understanding. Practically applying it. You've probably heard this quote before. But knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Right. Understanding is knowing that a tomato is a fruit because it contains the seeds inside of the tomato itself, inside of the fruit itself. And wisdom is taking that knowledge and understanding and practically applying it, and wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. Because we know that it may be classified as a fruit, but it doesn't taste quite like a fruit, and so it doesn't fit quite well into tomato salad. Or, sorry, fruit salad It's perfectly fine in tomato salad, if that's a thing. Uh, Though apparently now people aren't using wisdom when they're When I looked for a picture of tomato in fruit salad, there's people who actually have recipes for tomato and fruit salad. So this quote may be gone now, but there you go. Wisdom or uh, knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit, understanding is knowing why it's a fruit, and wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. So you can have knowledge and you can have understanding with very little or no effect on your behavior. But you can't have wisdom without it affecting your behavior. It requires practically applying the knowledge and the understanding that you have. Solomon offers many thoughts on wisdom throughout Proverbs. And we are going to look particularly at Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, feel free to turn over to Proverbs. We're looking at chapter 3 in the New Living Translation And in this chapter, Solomon is identifying some things about wisdom. And just as Hill and Walton pointed out in our very textbooky quote, the Israelite view of wisdom was firmly rooted in the fear of the Lord. And we see this throughout the first half of Proverbs 3. And we're going to start in verse 5 and read to verse 12 to start here. And Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Ah, yes. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord loves those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So Solomon is saying a few things here. And the first is do not lean on your own understanding, but instead seek God. This is a very, I'm going to try really hard not to touch this. Uh, But instead, seek God. Our human wisdom and understanding is absolute foolishness to God. His thoughts and ways are so above our thoughts and ways. And Paul picks this up when he writes to the Corinthians. See, earlier Solomon says, Do not be impressed by your own wisdom. And that's exactly what the Corinthians were. They were super impressed with their own wisdom. They thought no one was wiser than themselves. But Paul comes and he says this to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message of the cross is foolish to those headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. It is foolish... Oh, no, sorry. Can we go to the next slide? Oh, you did. Since in his wisdom God saw to to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say that it is nonsense. God's wisdom is far above our own wisdom. And God's wisdom is shown completely in Jesus. And Jesus caused many a people to scratch their heads at what he was saying and what he was doing. See, Jesus' teachings didn't make sense to the religious leaders. It didn't make sense to their human wisdom. Because Jesus comes and he says, You have heard it said, you must not break your vows, but I say, don't make any vows. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love those who persecute you and pray for your enemies. None of these teachings made any sense to the religious leaders. It doesn't make sense to our human wisdom. But to God, it is very wise. And the ultimate display of God's wisdom is in Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. See, crucifixion was the most shameful and most painful punishment you could get. Being nailed to a cross completely naked. And nakedness being very shameful to the Jews. And being killed in general very unwise to human wisdom. Human wisdom would suggest that you don't do that. And it was saved for the most hated criminals in the Roman Empire, those revolutionaries who were trying to overthrow Rome. Yet Jesus willingly gives himself into the hands of evil and death. Again, very unwise thing to submit to by human wisdom. But only in God's wisdom could he see the cross, not as a weapon for evil and death, but the tool in which to defeat it. See, God's understanding is so far above our own that we cannot lean on our own understanding, but we need to lean on him. And because we cannot lean on our own understanding, and we have to lean on God, Solomon gives us some ways in which we can practice that wisdom. Ways in which we are seeking God and we are trusting God instead. He says, uh, going later in Proverbs 3, My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. They will keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster, or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. The NLT says uh, common sense, but most translations say sound wisdom. By leaning on God's wisdom and holding on to it, rather than your own understanding, trusting that God's wisdom and God's will for your life is better than your own, it allows you to sleep soundly and not stumble. Our human wisdom, it says we need to be in control. We need to do it ourselves for anything to get done. But God's wisdom says to to trust in him to be in control. He's telling you to let it go. Let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. (laughs) The ones who have kids really got that. Solomon gives you a few examples of completely trusting in God. First, he says... Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. See, wisdom is seeking God's will for your life. It is giving up your life so that God can guide you on the paths that he wants to take. It's giving up that control over your life. And that goes against our worldly wisdom. We need to give up our lives, so that God can give us life, that doesn't make sense, giving up something to get it back. But that's God's wisdom. And in His wisdom, it makes sense, and it's what He wants us to do. See, at camp, we were talking about new creations, and we were looking at the different characters throughout the Bible. And how they were transformed into new creations. And we looked at so many of them. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David. And all these Old Testament characters whose lives were completely transformed by God. But we also looked at one guy who was kind of transformed, but not completely. And that was the Judge Samson, who God gave... Great strength. But God wanted to make Samson into a great leader to deliver his people from the oppression of the Philistines. But the difference between Samson and all those other people is he didn't give up control of his life. He just kept doing his own thing. Falling in love with Philistine women and killing those who ticked him off but he never gave his life fully to God. It was complete control and complete trust in God that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David had that that allowed God to come and transform them into new creations, giving up their lives to receive life. And we have some very wise people in our congregation In this way, giving up their lives, giving up control in order for God to guide them. And I think of the Beckerts who give up their stable employment to become self-employed so that they can go to Mazat land where they feel God is calling, where they feel God's will for their life is. And the world says it's very unwise to give up stable employment and go self-employed. But in God's wisdom, that's where he was calling them. And they gave up that control and they were able to work in Maslow land doing that things. So I think of the McCarthy's who, feel, who felt called to go to Papua New Guinea with a one-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old, which the world says is very unwise. And they probably felt it was very unwise doing all those very long flights with a one-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, and seven-year-old judging by some of the posts that they had. There was probably times where they felt it was very unwise. But in God's wisdom, he's guiding them. They're giving up their lives, giving up control to see where God is guiding them. And more locally, I think of Nigel and Naomi and Sienna who are giving up time and stability to be able to help the Syrian family that's facing oppression And it may seem very unwise to give up such time and such energy to be able to do this by human wisdom. But that's what God is calling them to do. And so they're giving up that stability and that control and that time to be able to do it. These are people letting go of control and trusting in God to guide them in the paths. Some of them have been called across the world. Some of them have been called locally But every single one of us needs to trust in God and give up control of our lives and let Him guide us, because that is what Solomon is saying wisdom is seeking God, trusting God. The second way he says is a little bit later. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then He will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And it's just like Tyler was saying up here, being radically generous, and that's trusting God. See, one of our core values is generous lifestyle, and our website explains it like this. We commit to living as faithful stewards, willing to cheerfully share what we have with others. We listen to and depend on God in every circumstance with a humble spirit of gratitude Generosity touches all aspects of our lives, our friendships, our service, our time, our gifts and abilities, and our material resources. And the line that I want to focus on in there is this one. We listen to and depend on God in every circumstance with a humble spirit of gratitude. We listen to God, not our own understanding. We depend on God and trust in him. See, Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, uh, it occurs during this time when Israel has come back from exile in Babylon. They've settled on the land. They've rebuilt their temple. They've rebuilt their homes. They've rebuilt their city walls. They've been settled there for a few years, but they're having this problem in trusting God. And so God says to them through his prophet Malachi, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. See, we're not supposed to test God, but he gives us one area in which we are allowed to. And that is with our resources. And again, it doesn't make sense to human wisdom. I need to give radically and give generously in order to receive more. That doesn't make sense in human wisdom. What makes sense to us is we need to hoard it. We need to gather as much as we can and keep it and keep gathering it. And then we'll have more, not giving it away. But in God's wisdom, he says, no, you need to give generously so that you have room for me to pour into You to bless you more. Solomon says that wisdom is trusting in God, and you can't trust in God if you are hoarding your own resources and relying on your own power and your own resources because then you're just trusting in yourself. But God wants you to trust Him and seek Him because that is wisdom. And thirdly, He says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Trusting in God's discipline, trusting in God's commandments, which Brad talked a little bit about uh, on our first week. Our past actions have future consequences and how David wasn't very good at disciplining his kids or laying out guidelines for the next king, and it caused all this confusion and hurt and pain. But yet... Our human wisdom nowadays tends to push back against anything that is absolute universal truth. We see truth as more as relative. I feel that. I believe this. I think in my opinion. It's all kind of relative things. We push back against uh, guidelines and commandments and universal truths. And when we think of boundaries, we think it restricts us in our human wisdom. It's something that stops us from being able to be who we are uh, and do the things that we want to do. But in God's wisdom, boundaries actually give us freedom. It's like a train on a track. The tracks are these guidelines, and the train is supposed to stay on that track. And what happens if the train goes off the track? Many people get hurt, those riding the train, anyone who's driving around the train. Lots of people get hurt. The guidelines allow it to move without causing pain. Or it's like an elephant in an enclosure in a big city. It has this enclosure around it so it doesn't go running amok, knocking people over in its path, eventually causing pain for itself. It has to to get put down or tranquilized. But my favorite is one that Nikki Gumbel gives in the Alpha series. I don't know if he still uses it, because the Alpha one I watched was like one of the original ones. But he uses this example, and it's a playground, this elementary school playground that doesn't have a fence, and it's right near a busy road. And so when recess comes, the kids go out for recess, but they huddle around the school, or they huddle in the middle of the field near the noon-hour supervisor, because they don't feel safe to spread out. They don't feel protected from the dangers. But once the school puts in this fence around the edge, during recess, the kids go out and they spread out and they play. And these boundaries have given them the freedom to spread out and play, no longer huddled around. They even go right up to the edge of the fence. They have been given more freedom because of the boundary. And that's the same with God's commandments. It's designed to be this boundary in which we can spread out and play And have this freedom so that we don't hurt ourselves and so that we don't hurt the others around us. See, his commandments help us love God better and help love each other better. And so there's freedom in those boundaries. And the wisdom is trusting in God and in his boundaries. So Solomon says that seeking wisdom is not leaning on our own understanding, but trusting God and seeking God. And he gives those three areas in which we can be wise. And at the end of the chapter, Solomon starts giving some advice as to what is wise as well. He starts showing what wisdom is for. He says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, Come back tomorrow and I'll help you. Don't plot harm against your neighbor, for those who live nearby trust you. Don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. So Solomon identifies what wisdom is for. And wisdom isn't for our own benefit, it's for the benefit of the people around us. And now I'm feeling like a broken record because that was the same with our fruit of the Spirit messages that the fruit of the Spirit wasn't primarily for our own benefit, for for the benefit of the people around us. And so it is with wisdom. Solomon lays it out. Do not withhold from those who deserve it. When it's in your power to help someone, help them now. Don't delay it. Don't plan revenge. Don't pick fights. Don't envy violent people or be like them. It's all about the benefit of the people around you. And in those three examples that we looked at, we see that sticking out. That's for the benefit of people around them. Trusting in God and seeking God's will for your life, his plan for your life, giving up control rather than trying to do it yourself benefits the people around you. The Beckerts doing that has lived in the Mazeland where they're loving a church and helping a church and loving people down there. The McCarthy's have done that and it's guided them to Papua New Guinea where they're loving missionary kids and teaching them wisdom and knowledge. And the Chua's in with the uh, refugee family, they have given up control and they're following God and allowing them to love Syrian refugees in Langley that need that help, that are being oppressed and they're showing them God's love. Their wisdom is for the benefit of the people around them, for their neighbor. Trusting God with our resources benefits the people around us as we give generously, helping the poor, helping the oppressed. That wisdom is for the benefit of people around them. Following God's commandments because they teach us how to love God better and how to love each other better is for the benefit of the people around us. It's like the train on the tracks. So we stay on the, li- on the line, on the boundary, so that we don't hurt people around us. Wisdom is for the benefit of people around us. But that's not to say that there isn't any benefit for you if you're seeking God's wisdom. Because Solomon talks about that as well in Proverbs 3. He says, joyful is a person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. She, that being wisdom, offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down a delightful path. Will guide you down delightful paths, plural. All of her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Benefits come to you yourself. Joyful is the person. Joy. Joy. A fruit of the Spirit, long life, riches, honors, guiding you down delightful paths, tree of life, happiness, if you are going for wisdom. But those benefits only come if you're using your wisdom to benefit others. So I'm going to add to our Tower of Wisdom here this week. I did a little bit more... uh, um, I don't know the word, but that's fine. So we have... Wisdom as our bottom foundation here for our series. Then we have uh, past actions have consequences. Another very wise thing to say. Then we have Ruth Ellens last week. The God is the source and provider of wisdom. Did I get it right? Yeah, the typo. Oh, okay. I didn't quite read the typo. And now we have what wisdom is. It's seeking God, trusting God, and loving others. And we're going to add to our tower of wisdom as it goes up. And so, I want to conclude with this. Maybe giving you some practical areas in which you can seek God's wisdom. Seek God and trust in him and lean not on your own understanding. Where is God calling you right now? Maybe he's been poking away at your heart, kind of prodding you, convicting you of something, pushing you to get involved in something. Maybe it's something like helping make and serve coffee Sunday mornings or help set up these lovely chairs that you're sitting in in the morning. Maybe he's been pushing and prompting and poking you to do that. And you can talk to Sachi to help him with the chairs. You can talk to Carmen to help with coffee. Maybe it's getting involved with children and helping teach children God's wisdom and showing children God's love on a Sunday morning. And you only have a few weeks in which you can talk to Ruth Ellen about that. So make sure you do that. Or maybe you're feeling prompted to what I think is the most fun of the options, but I'm a little biased. (laughs) Maybe God's calling you to be a youth leader. I know I'm excited for September. I know the youth are excited for September, right? Maybe. (laughs) Nathaniel. I'm excited for September. Maybe... God has been prompting and poking you to share your wisdom with our youth. Show God's love to our youth. Hang out with us on Thursday and play some games and chat about God. Maybe he's prompting you to pray more. And you can join us for pre-gathering prayer where we meet down in the media lounge there at 9.45 and join us so we can pray together that God's wisdom and God's love will be shown in this place every single Sunday and in our congregation's lives. Or maybe it's praying for other people in our prayer response teams that meet on the sides at the end of messages and praying for the members of our community. Maybe it's simply joining a small group And, oh, by the way, for prayer, you can talk to Katie. I was going to throw that shout-out to Katie. Uh, Maybe it's joining a small group. Joining a community in which you can practice wisdom by benefiting the people around you in that community and sharing God's wisdom and God's love with them and receiving God's wisdom and God's love with the community around you. And you can talk to Tyler about that. Lots of plugs today. All the ministry leaders are very happy with this. (laughs) Maybe you've been feeling that prompting, that poking. And maybe you've pushed it down. You think, I don't have the time for that. I don't have the energy for that. I don't have the skills or the abilities about that. But that convicting and that poking and that prodding, I'll let you in on a secret. That's probably God's wisdom. It's probably God saying, give up control of your life. Trust in me, seek in me. And this is where I'm calling you to do, be. And when we push it down and say, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the gifts or the abilities, that's us taking our human wisdom and squishing God's wisdom. And so I plead with you not to do that because God is calling you to seek him and trust him and give up control of your life to him because that is what wisdom is. It's firmly rooted in the fear of the Lord respecting God's power and God's control over your life. I'm going to invite the team to come up and lead us in one last song. And there's going to be a prayer response team on the side. There's going to be Katie and Anne-Marie and myself. And I wanted to invite you to come. Maybe you think, I need to seek more of God's wisdom. Come up and pray with them on the side, asking God to give you more wisdom. Or maybe it's a time where you're like, I have been pushing down God's wisdom in my life with my own human wisdom, saying I don't have the time, the energy, or the gifts or abilities and maybe you need to repent of that i would invite you to come to us on the sides and pray with us asking god for forgiveness for not giving our lives to him for not trusting in his wisdom and trusting our own wisdom and our own power and come to the side and repent you only have one song so don't wait <laughs> all right i know sometimes i like to like you know relax a little bit and feel the song there's only one song don't miss out on prayer very important. I'm sure we'll hang out afterwards for you to pray with us, but don't wait.